by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we've been on a series the last four or five weeks, and I think today might be the the last message of the series. I'm not sure, but I believe we're coming to a close. We've been on a series entitled Still Standing. When Jesus comes back, will we still be standing? And if so, how do we prepare ourselves for the world in which we live so that we can be still standing when all this craziness is going on around us? And so that's what we've been talking about. Today we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and you probably know where we're going. It's the whole armor of God. And... uh, I think I preached on the whole armor of God a couple of years ago, and you've probably heard a lot of preaching on You're probably saying, oh, here we go. I know the whole armor of God thing. But listen, if this is where the Lord is leading us to go, it's for a reason. And I'm not going to preach it under, uh, how would you say, the normal way I would preach it, that what I, my normal thoughts. I begin to think about this and how we can use the whole armor to still be standing in the end. So hopefully you're not one of those who think you can exhaust everything out of a scripture once you've read it and understood it one time. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a story about when I was in junior high. I don't know. They got real desperate at one point, and they didn't have anybody to run the concession stand. So they said, Sheffield, you want to run the concession stand? I said, me? Run the concession stand. You're talking about putting the fox in the hen house. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll run the concession stand. Because, see, folding money was kind of scarce back in those days when I was growing up. We didn't have a lot of money for luxuries, you know, like food and clothes and that kind of thing. So you, you give me a whole concession stand full of popcorn and candy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take that job. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> I, my belly had never been so full. My goodness, my dentist was so bit. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't even have a dentist, but he. <laughs> but during the basketball game, I was kind of quiet in junior high, believe it or not. But during the basketball games, I seemed to be everybody's best friend. Can you slip me this? Can you slip me that? And I, uh, you know, I was becoming popular real quick. I had no experience in retail sales, but I was mastering the art of inventory reduction. <laughs> of course, they did inventory one day, and they reduced me, <laughs> but. That was later on. <laughs> I was just a dumb kid, you know. I didn't know any better. I don't know what my PE coach's excuse was. <laughs> coach Cooley. That, that guy, he would, he would rap on the back door, you know, before I'd open up the, the window every day, and he'd say, Sheffield, give me a bag of popcorn and some M&Ms. And I'd say, okay, and I'd get it, I'd hand it, and then I'd put my hand out for payment, and he'd slap us and walk off chuckling. Well, that just irked me, you know. It, it got on my unrighteous indignation because I didn't have any righteous indignation. <laughs> but I decided I was going to stand up to this big bully. He wasn't going to do me like that. So after a couple of days, you know, 
I started making a plan how I was going to stand up. I mean, and this was hard to, to imagine because he's like six foot five, 250 or something, you know. I look like a broomstick in a pair of pa- parachute pants, you know. I was, <laughs> I was skinny back in them days, you know. And uh, anyway, next time he came, you know, he asked for some stuff, and, and I was ready to stand up boldly to him, and I looked him in the eye, and I kind of meekly turned the other way, Coach, <laughs> you got to start paying for this. I'm going to get in trouble, you know. And that's when he came on in the concession stand and he shut the door behind him. I'll tell you later what happened. But we got to get to today's message. But I can tell you, it wasn't good. Are you at Ephesians 6.10 yet? Good. Apostle Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus. You know, when you say a final word, that's usually your most important stuff. He says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's some good advice. How many of you just wants to stand in your little parachute pants up against the six-foot-five world we're living in, huh? You want to have the the Lord on your team. Put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm. Say, still standing. See, that's what we're talking about, still standing. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, why would he have strategies if he wasn't trying to get something from you? You know, he's got strategies. You can look on the news. You can see the things going on in America today, and you don't have to be Einstein to realize the devil's got strategies going on. I mean, there's a strategy in America to divide and conquer. Do you believe me? Verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, but against... I mean, we are fighting against them. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Do you feel like you're living in a time of evil? Has things changed, some of you that's my age, (laughs) since over the generation? But then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Say, still standing. Y'all going to help me preach today? It, it, it helps a lot. Stand your ground. And then he begins to tell about the armor. He says, put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And the King James it says, the breastplate of righteousness. Covering over your heart, you see. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. The gospel, so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop all the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A lot of people stop right there in the armor, but I always go take it at one more verse because it says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So I believe personally that prayer is part of the armor as well. Now, like I said, I, didn't, I was really wanting to preach a kind of lighthearted message today. But I had a dream Thursday night. 
that really troubled me and it kind of led me to the, uh, the message that we're going to talk about today and the whole armor and everything. You know, you can't really help what you dream sometimes. I hate to tell you that, but I dreamed that I was in like a foreign country somewhere and I was kind of feeling out of place and, you know, trying to fit in with the culture there or whatever. But somehow we ended up in a cemetery. And I could see out of the corner of my eye there was this trench. And there was these soldiers on either side of the trench. And on either side of the trench were little kids. And they were giving the little kids like a round, like a curved stone each. Looked kind of like a small headstone. And they were making them lean over the trench and try to hit each other in the head with them. This was a weird dream. And they would hit each other in the head, and they would fall out in the trench, and and then they would cover them up at the graveyard. And And I'm like, after I woke up from my dream, I was like, why didn't I stop this? Because I felt like, you know, this is not my country I don't know these people. I don't know this may be what they do. You know how you make excuses for why you didn't, be, didn't act in a time of emergency. We all had that one. We should have stopped and helped them on the road, but we kept going or whatever. But I felt like I just want to get out of here. And so we got in the car, and we began to drive off, and we went into some neighborhood somewhere, and it was like we got to this street corner, and they were blocking the road, and it was all kids of different ages. And many of them had shovels and different implements and stuff, And they were fighting each other. And I was like, I didn't do anything. I didn't try to get out and break it up. Why are y'all doing this? I felt like, well, this is what they do in this country. They're not like us. And so they began to fight each other, and we just got out of there. But I woke up, and I'm like, why didn't I stand up? Why didn't I fight for these kids? I don't care where, where I'm at. I should always be for the children. And so I was mad at myself. And then I told Angie the dream. And we began to talk about it. And it reminded us of a genocide that went on in Rwanda in Africa back in 1994. And I was going to tell you a little bit about that because I got up and I know it's not a pleasant subject. But I think it's a relevant subject for us to talk about today. Because what you had was you had a nation with two tribes, the Houthi and the Tutsis. Yeah, I can make jokes about that, but I'm not. But anyway, there's two tribes, and they begin to hate one another. And before it's over, 800,000 people were killed in a four-month period. So I wrote down a few facts that I looked up about this. The genocide was pre-planned, they were planning on wiping out. The Houthi wanted to kill the Tutsis. They pre-planned it for four years, and it was at the highest levels of government. You know, we're trained to think that the government officials are for us, but you got to be careful. you got to hold them accountable, you see. These people, in 1990, four years before it began, started arming a militia. They just started training their ordinary people for war all the way down to the little children, teaching them to hate, teaching them to want to, 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 to kill. Not only were they 
pumping in them propaganda to hate the Tutsi tribe, but they were telling them that anybody who sides with the Tutsis, even if you're a Houthi, then they're a target too. You should hate them as well. So they're not giving people any, there's there's no room for somebody to stand up and not have to take a side. They got a radio station, begin to broadcast racist propaganda, propaganda and obscene jokes and stuff, and make it seem common, you know, to stir up the division all the time. They begin importing way more machetes than they needed for farm work. Razor blades, scissors, knives, eventually AK-47s. I mean, they're not like America where they just have abundance of these things. But the Houthi begin to prepare for something. And then in 1994, four years after they begin this thought process, this idea, this fringe idea that some of them were propagating, the president of the Houthi was flying over the country and got shot down. Well, everybody said, it's the Tutsis. Let's get them. They found out later it couldn't have been the Tutsis that shot them down. They believe it was the Houthi that shot their own president down to trigger the anger that would start this genocide. You know what a genocide is? It's when you begin to try to kill off a whole group, people group. So they blame the Tutsis on this airplane crash and the, street, the extreme fringe of people that had been calling for genocide didn't seem so extreme anymore. The killing began the very next day. Most people were killed in their own villages, by their own neighbors, by people that they know. And it was said that either you took part in the massacres or you were massacred yourself. And this is not just some give them poison and let them go die somewhere. This is slicing people up with machetes. Brutal murders. You're just like, what in the world? And you think, how could that happen to anybody? This, is the, this was the 19th, 1900s, the 20th century. How could this happen? This was just 23 years ago. It happened. And if I told you that one of the main reasons why the Houthi didn't like the Tutsis, you wouldn't believe me. They said, we don't like them because they're not as good a Christians as we are. That makes me want to just stop and cry. If they were Christians, then they were heavily deceived. I don't see how, I I think they just revealed themselves not as Christians. A false Christianity. Because John says, you say you love your brother, or you say you love God, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. (laughs) I read, you know, to, to research what happened there, and when I saw that part that the Houthi claimed to be Christians but killed 800,000 people with machetes. I'm like, what? I'm not saying America's dividing up like Hootsies and Tootsies. (laughs) I'm not, but 
we need to be aware that it is possible and that we need to stand up. If something like this were to happen and we didn't stand up, it's like my dream. Why didn't I stand up? What were my excuses for not saving the children? We need to be aware in the time in which we live, and we don't need to have any part in the darkness. We put, need to put on the armor of light. I'm telling you, the devil's tricky. Who used to say that? Was that Bobby Burton when he preached? That devil, he's tricky. Ephesians 6.14, like we read, it says, Stand your ground and put on the belt of truth. We need to know as Christians what is the truth. How do we know what's on TV today is true or what's on our phone today is true? We don't. <laughs> so we, we must use discernment. We try to figure it out with our little brain. We try to ignore the spin. And let me tell you this, there's spin coming from both sides. Not just both sides, all sides. We don't even know if there's two. There's so many sides out there today, it's ridiculous. And all of them have talking points and spin. What we need to do is stop indulging in what we don't know about and indulge in what we do know about. I'm telling you, we got to get into absolute truth, not be deceived, not take the bait, not our, allow ourselves to be emotionally exploited by dark forces. Now, I'm, I bet there's not a person here that doesn't sometimes get on your social media and see something and just makes you want to hate somebody. So I'm talking, to, I believe, to everybody. We got to be careful. We're supposed to be children of light. We're not supposed to see division and hatred and color and all these things that we're trying, social status. We're supposed to love the least of these. We're supposed to love our enemies. There's not supposed to be anybody we don't love. We got to be careful. Where is your info coming from? Is it stirring up love or hate? You got to be careful. If, it's stir if something is stirring up hatred in you, you need to let it go. You don't want to live like that. You don't want to live in a country where the kids are out on the streets with shovels trying to bang each other in the head. I'm telling you. You don't think it's possible. This was 23 years ago in Rwanda. And there's been stuff going on since then. There's stuff going on in America today. Are you choosing sides here? Are you picking a side against another? Are you stirring yourself up in anger? Are you determined to love everybody because your ultimate allegiance is to God? That we're different. We are different. I know everybody has their personal feelings. The way you were, you're seeing things through this mesh of things that were taught to you and all these things. But you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have become new. You have to wash your mind with the washing of the word and determine that I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I don't want to be in the darkness. The devil came to Jesus as soon as he revealed himself. As soon as John says, oh, behold the Lamb of God. The devil said, oh, that's him? Devil went, uh, Jesus went out in the wilderness and the devil went with him. He began to twist 
the word of God. And that's what, that's what he does. He doesn't deny the word of God. He just twists it. But you know what Jesus told the devil? He said, look, get behind me. We must live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because we, we don't know what you're saying. What you're saying is just twisting stuff. We, we need to know what we believe. So the devil left him. When you make a stand like that, when you speak the word and you, you tell the devil, look, I'm not listening to that. I believe this. The devil will leave you. But he's like a bad penny. He just keeps coming back. He's a coward. He'll try to get you at your weakest moment. And if you're always indulging in something that you shouldn't indulge in and feeding your flesh, you're going to be weak all the time. Man, I'm preaching good today. Psalms 5.8 says, lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest des desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. Then in Psalms 59, 14, it says, Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. I'm starting to feel these things around me. When I look at what society is becoming. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. If we were to stand up and say what the truth says, we get attacked. If we call evil evil, then we're called evil. It's crazy. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find that there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. No one intervened. We all woke up the next morning and said, why didn't I do something? No one took a stand. We cowered down because we said, well, this is just the, the culture that we live in today. This is just the way they do it over here. So if we say something, they're going to say we're the evil ones. So we don't say anything. I'm not saying that you jump up and you argue with people or whatever, but we got to speak the truth in love. We got to stand for the truth. We got to display the truth. We got to be the truth. We can't join in. You know, I might have could have said something to Coach Cooley if I wasn't eating the M&Ms myself. <laughs> huh? So God himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. You know, there was a time when the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. The temple of God was ransacked. Everything was set ablaze and all the goods hauled off. Precious gold and silver of the temple was hauled off. 
And all the people that, were, that had any standing whatsoever were taken into slavery or killed or, or made exiles. And the only people living left in Jerusalem were just a meager few that could have nothing because the walls were torn down. You understand in those days it was dog-eat-dog kind of world. And if you didn't have any walls to protect you, they'd come in and steal your stuff at night or just kill you. And so when you didn't have any walls built, it was rough back in those days. And God sent a man named Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. But before I get there, let me say this. Jerusalem was God's city. And he allowed it to be ransacked. He allowed the walls to come tumbling down because there was no righteous man to stand on the wall. There was nobody to stand up for what was right. They had all succumbed and compromised with the evil in Jerusalem. And so God took his hand a blessing off. And his own town, Jerusalem, was ransacked. But God in his infinite mercy, ready to rebuild his people, sent Nehemiah to fix the walls. But when Nehemiah got there, guess what? All the people who were used to ransacking the town and putting their hand in the kitty and stealing the M&Ms and the popcorn. They were like, wait a minute, now I don't want you to rebuild the walls. We can't get in here. So the surrounding area, the politicians started talking to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you don't need to do that. I, we know what you're doing. They begin to accuse Nehemiah of doing something. We're going to tell the king on you. Just whatever political ploy that they, their little minds could think up. Politics. And, and so they, they begin to say these things to Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 6.8, he replied to these people. There is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, he says, now speaking to the reader. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. He said, so I continued to work with even greater determination. They're not going to stop me. He recognized the lie. If Nehemiah would have come in there and just let the politics rule of the day, he would have never got anything done. But he recognized the lies going on, the deceit, the fake news is coming at us from all sides. Don't you believe all, everything anybody says? Ignore it like Nehemiah and get back to your real purpose. And start building the kingdom of God with even greater determination. Where is your allegiance? I know I've been preaching this a lot lately. It sounds like I'm not a patriot, not, like I don't love America, but my first allegiance is to God. And if I love America, it's like my, my wife. I love her with all my heart, but my first allegiance is to Jesus. If my first allegiance is to Jesus, I can't love Angie like I'm supposed to love Angie. If I love America, my first allegiance needs to be to God because I can't love America like I'm supposed to love America without God and his truth and his power. Where is your allegiance? We're ambassadors here to make this a better world. When the rapture happens and we're gone, guess what? 
This place is going to be horrible. You are the one standing in the gap. And if the one standing on the wall stop being watchmen, if the one standing in the gap start rolling dice with the soldiers, then who is going to hold back the darkness? Say the belt of truth. That's what we've been talking about. Now, we're not going to be able to spend this much time on all the pieces of armor, so I'm going to move on. But we're going to the breastplate of righteousness now. Like I said, the way I see the breastplate of righteousness, it's covering my heart. And my heart has been made right with God by the precious blood of Jesus. I've been, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so that breastplate covers that. But in, in a sense of still standing, if we're talking about it in still standing, I was thinking, what does that breastplate do? It protects what's right in my heart. And listen, Christians, we have the right. We have right thinking. We know what's right. They can, say, they can call us evil all they want to. We stand for life. From conception to whenever the Lord takes us home and beyond. We stand for life. You've got to know what you believe now. We stand for families. We stand for faithfulness. We stand for holiness. We stand for honor, courage, justice, rule of law, peace, compassion. We're to spread love and light. We protect the children. We have to protect the children. We have to stand up for the weak, for the poor, feed the hungry, look after widows and orphans, those in jail. Who's going to love them? We need to love the sinner. Those that we don't agree with. We need to check on, on the shut-ins and the people in the nursing homes and in the hospitals. The world ain't doing it. They'll just leave them there to rot. And I dare to say many of you are here today because somebody checked on you. Because God sent somebody. And now we need to be the ones doing the going. Now we need to take what God has given us and go with it. We stand against sin, division, hatred, darkness, lies, corruption, perversion, complacency, compromise. And against war. I'm not some lily-livered peace nick or whatever. There is a time when you got to go to war, I understand. But it needs to be a good reason. <laughs> because if people are going to die, it needs to be worth dying for. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in sight of God and the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's what we're talking about, refusing to let the world corrupt you. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God. See, that's a distinction. 
You're a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. In the New Living, it says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Your eternal life in you makes you different. Proverbs 10, 25, it says, When the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Say, breastplate of righteousness. You're a possessor of what's right. You know the truth. Let's talk about our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When I, when I hear that, I, it makes me think, that's purpose. God gave me purpose to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To get going. Not to be a sitter, but a doer. Billy Sunday, an old-time evangelist, used to tell a story about a guy. He was talking to his friend. He says, man, I'm real, I lost my job. i got to find something quick. He said, I'm going down to the lumberjack camp and get on down there. He said, man... They find out you're a Christian, they will wear you out. That's a rough group. You don't want to go down there with the lumberjacks. He said, I got to. I got to have a job, pay, pay my bills. So he went and worked with the lumberjacks. He come back about a year later. His friend says, well, did they tear you up? He said, they didn't give me one bit of trouble. They never even found out I was a Christian. <laughs> That's funny. But I wonder if people here today have people at your work that don't know you're a Christian. <laughs> First Peter 3.15 says, If anyone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready. And I think Jesus took it further when he said, Go into all the world to be actively telling the good news. To be a light, a city on a hill, be salt. We are a peculiar people. People should look at us like something's different. If they're looking at you like one of their buddies and they're lost as a goose, then what does that say about your destination? You're, going, you're running with the wrong crowd. If you would stand up, they would run to you when they need help. I hear that all the time. People say, well, I, I love them, and I want to be with my friends. I don't want to lose my old friends or whatever. You're going to have to separate yourself until you get a foundation underneath you. And they're going to have to see something different, and they may, they're going to laugh and wonder why you're not running to the same old sins as they do. But when they get down, they're going to know who the, you're going to be the first one they call. And then if you really want to help them, then you can lead them to the Lord. That's how it's done. It ain't I'm just going to compromise with you because I love you and I'll just be with you while hold your hand while you go to hell. You're going to have to stand up. I think many times because I preach so hard like this, 
it's hard for people that just want to play church to come in here. That's how I know you guys are genuine, because you keep coming back for this. Because you like to be challenged. Because you want what's real. That's right. You don't want to play Christianity. You want to live Christianity. Are you just sitting on the Great Commission? Are you standing up for it? You don't know joy until you've changed someone's eternity from smoking to non-smoking. I mean, there comes a real sense of satisfaction that I'll see them in heaven because I shared the gospel with them. Because they saw something different in me. Politicians are not the hope for America. We can put a lot of hope that they'll change some policy or whatever, and then they'll probably let us down. Politicians cannot save America. But you can. You have the words of eternal life. You have the words that will change this nation. It has to be changed like God does. Everything from the inside out. More rules, more regulations, more laws are just giving people reason to see how they can escape and how they can rebel against something new. More challenges for them. We don't need more laws. We need more love. We need changed hearts that don't see them not rebellious. You can make the difference in America. You and your little gospel tennis shoes on the path running, telling the news. Cute little selfie. Let the, let the politicians smear each other's name from one end of Washington to the other. It don't make no, another attack ad is not going to save America. It's just appealing to people's flesh. Spreading light is the only way to defeat darkness. I think Martin Luther King said that originally. Spreading light is the only way to defeat the darkness. And I'll wager that just about anybody in here has more light than some of the politicians that we got running in America. I'm not down, I'm not saying don't respect them in their office or whatever. I'm saying vote some better ones in. Vote your values. I'm not saying give up on the political system. I'm saying engage in it with a, with a heart of righteousness. Feet shod. Now we're going to talk about the shield of faith. Shield of faith, you put that up and you quench all those fiery darts of the wicked, those thoughts and suggestions he's always throwing at your mind, the, the pull to get you to join in in their folly. But that shield of faith will quench every fiery dart. You just walk in faith. You wield it to, to deflect those negative thoughts. Sometimes it might be about you, about how you feel about you. He's always lying. He's always trying to bring down, to pull down. He's got a, a whole, I think he lives in a world of propaganda. The father of lies, a amen. 
We need to only allow in what is good to the edifying. Don't allow anything in. You're the keeper of your garden. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life, who you are, how you live. If you don't keep your heart, the devil's just throwing them. You're listening, and you're buying in to the lies, to the deception. And the, the enemy's got a lot of devices, and most of them just start with a thought. In fact, you hardly ever do anything you don't think about first. Some, even some Christians that don't put up their shield, they may come in here one day and say, did you hear about so-and-so cheating on his wife? Well, we need to pray for them. That's not spiritual, that's gossip. That's not, love covers a multitude of sins. Go to that person. Do take a step. Help that person. But if the first thing you do is announcing it to the church, that's a step way on at the end of the, the list of way you handle things. Come on now. Amen. Care for one another and cover one another. Like Barney Fife says, nip it, Andy. <laughs> nip it in the bud. Nip it. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every time something don't sound right, be slow to speak before you let your mouth go flying off. Listen to the voice from within. Victory is in what and whom you believe. It's faith. The shield of faith. Your victory is in what and in whom you believe. By faith, some walked through the fire untouched. But some walked through the fire and perished. But they had this on their lips, that my God is enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Whether you live or whether you die, do it by faith. To know that God is enough. Faith gives you the victory one way or another, whether it's on this side or on the other side. It doesn't matter. Faith gives you victory. To know in whom you have believed. To know that he holds all things in his hands and he'll set the record straight in the end. He's got this. Faith also produces faithfulness and that's sorely lacking in this generation and maybe the previous couple generations maybe just in humanity <laughs> but faith when you trust in God you're standing on something firm it makes you more firm it'll create faithfulness in you in knowing who you believe in 1 John 5, 4 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world. Don't join in. And we achieve this victory how? Through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only the, those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Say, shield of faith. Develop your faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. Attune your thoughts to the things of God. Let's talk about the helmet of salvation. There's a boldness that comes when you got your head covered with the understanding that if God be for me, who can be against me? Amen. That my eternity is secure. 
that I know that I have eternal life. There's a boldness that comes from that that you need in these days. If you're just guessing, am I, am I going to heaven? Does God really love me? Is he for me? Is he going to let me down? Is, is, he, is all this condemnation coming at you? You're not going to stand up and do anything for God. God, he is so gentle that he has given you so many precious promises, and he said they're all yes and amen. You say yes, I'll say amen. I'll say yes, you say amen. amen. Look, trust in the word of God. It'll change, fundamentally change you. And, and knowing that he is in control covers your mind. And guess where the battle goes on? <laughs> The battle for what you believe, how you behave, it's all going on right here. People all around you are breaking down. Oh, I can't take it no more. Do you got a number to a good therapist? Do you got some pills? You, you got a bottle on you? Give me a swig. I can't take it no more. They're breaking down all around you. And you got peace. And you, gonna, you need to share it. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Who by worrying is going to change the situation anyway? When did, wor when did worry ever take up a shovel and dig a hole? It, well, it dig a hole for you. <laughs> don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's the way you get through this, these days. You know, those poor, misinformed Muslim extremists. They're going out trying to kill innocent women and children to try to gain some earned salvation that they imagine in their, in their brains. But we're Christians. We know in whom we believe. We already have salvation. And we're going out loving folks so that they can have what we have. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. They're deceived. Do you love them? Dang, Pastor, you're pushing again. Do you love them? No, oh, I can't love them. Did you see what the guy did? He just ran over eight people or whatever he did. Could have been you. If you'd have grown up in the same ideology or you'd allowed yourself to take the wrong decisions or wrong path one after another, you would become a monster. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? There's not a one in here that's just so lovely that they didn't need Jesus and change of the way of their thinking. Amen. Say, helmet of salvation. Talk about the sword of the Spirit. We're going to wrap this up. The sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon that we need. They're really the only offensive weapon that the devil has is deceit and so all we need to combat him is the truth right speak it 
Believe it. The Word of God never comes back void. The Word of God mixed with faith. Powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is quick. That means alive. It's not some dead letter written thousands of years ago that's irrelevant. It is irrelevant to those who don't have the Spirit of God to discern it. But you have the Spirit of God. To you it's alive and quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It gets down in the middle of the way you feel and why you feel. And you can fight against the Word of God or you can get with the program. And it will, it will slice you open and lay your heart out so that God can really mold you into what you need to be. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Sword of the Spirit. And like I said, I added, I, I don't know if, if you've looked at it this way, but I, I put praying always as part of the, the armor, even though it does it may just be a tag on, but I think Jesus would add it too because when I saw him go in that temple and tear that place up and say, y'all have made my house, my father's house, a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. I think he put an emphasis on prayer. I see, I see his life and his existence and how he prayed everything through. I believe we can't live without prayer. You know, if my sweet wife Angie is off for a couple of days and we're apart for some reason or another, it's good to text. You know, we text. But I want her to call me so I can hear her voice. I got to talk me down, Angie. <laughs> Mission control. Talk me down. I got to hear her voice. It's okay to read your word. It's great to read your word every day. But prayer is important to learn to hear his voice as well. It's a personal relationship. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Martin Lloyd Jones, he's got three names, so you know whatever he says must be important. Martin. Lloyd Jones says, I like what he says. He says, the Christian has put on the whole armor of God. He is filled with the strength and the power, and he has fought the battle in the evil day. Then, having done all, he's tempted to take off his armor. I've gained the victory, he said, all is well. Then, taking off his armor, he lies down on his bed. No! says the Apostle Paul. Having done all to stand, stand. Go on standing. You are always on duty in the Christian life. You can never relax. There's no such thing as a holiday in the spiritual realm. But what about rest? There's a day of rest coming. But this ain't it. You get physical rest, you get to Sabbath, you know, that's important. You, you got balanced life or whatever, but you can never let your guard down. Turn to Nehemiah 4.14 and we'll close. Nehemiah 4.14. Going back to the story, he's rebuilding the wall. 
of Jerusalem. The harder he worked, the more he got done, the harder the opposition. New levels, new devils. More victory. Nehemiah 4.14. He says, Then as I overlooked the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And that's what we're fighting for. Is there not a cause? Don't be afraid of the enemy. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to work on the wall. So they're getting busy building the kingdom. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears and shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall, and the laborers carried on their work, one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. And all the builders had a sword built, uh, belted to their side, and the trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. They were on high alert, but they didn't stop the work. We're living in a time where we got to keep the sword in our hands. We need to be on high alert. We need our leaders behind us, thrusting us into the work of the ministry. We need the trumpeters on the wall. We need prayer warriors on the wall watching for the obstacles that the devil's trying to throw in our way. We need to be, what what does Peter say about that, Brother Tom? Ever vigilant, not ignorant of the devil's devices. We know we're living in difficult times. But we're going to get the job done. We're going to rebuild those walls so we can keep the enemy out. This is too important not to do. Do you want him to ransack your house, your kids, your family, your jobs, your loved ones? Some of you are saying Christianity is too hard since I started serving the Lord. The devil's really been after me. Welcome to this world. Before, he didn't have to be after you. You were after yourself. If the devil's after you, rejoice. That means you're doing something effective. If he's not after you and you're just comfortable and nothing's going on in your life, bump it up a little bit. Bump your game up a little bit. Do something. Don't be afraid of the enemy. He's a toothless lion. He's a lion and a cheetah. All right, y'all want to hear the end of the story when Coach Cooley came into the concession stand and shut the door behind him? All six foot five, 250 pounds of him. He grabbed me by the collar, and he picked me up and put me on the wall. He got up in my face, and I could smell his breath. My eyeballs about melted. (laughs) He said, Sheffield, 
you ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> or else I'll tell the principal about all those freebies I've been seeing you give to your friends. I said, oh, that principal fellow, man, he had a long list. He called it my permanent record. I don't know what he did with it, but he was always compiling some stuff on me, putting it in that permanent record. So I didn't want that to happen. I just said, he let me down. He straightened out my collar. We straight? I said, yes, sir. He grabbed him a handful of blow pop, stuck it in his gym shorts, and he walked out. And there wasn't nothing I could say. I realize now why he was the teacher, because he taught me a lesson. I couldn't say nothing, because I was just as shady as he was. And you, you can't say nothing about the world if you're just as shady as they are. So get your game together. It's the only way to make a difference on your permanent record. Later on, in gym class one day, my best friend Hal, we were 13 or 14, I don't know, he challenged Coach Cooley to an arm wrestling match. I was like, he's, he's embarrassing himself. He beat Coach Cooley in arm wrestling. And I thought to myself, I beat Hal in arm wrestling. Those bullies, that devil, he's all talk. You have the victory. You can whoop him. And you know what? Like I said, if God be for you, who can be against you? God is on your side. God is stronger than hell. We have the victory. We just got to enforce it. But you can't enforce it if you're eating up all the popcorns and M&Ms by yourself. And giving them away to all your friends. Set yourself apart. And then stand up to the bullies. Okay? Feel like I'm teaching the youth this morning. Okay? They're like, dude, you need to, you need to let us go. All right, I'm going to let you go. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.